Um, I wanted to start this morning um, with a little little story about a, a guy that I met. I actually knew this guy several years ago. Didn't know him really, really well. But I had, uh, we had mutual friends uh, when we were younger, even though I was older than him. Uh, and a few years ago, he called me, and he knew that I was a pastor. And uh, he called me, and he said, hey, man, I, um, I want to just get together and talk about some, some spiritual topics with you. I have, a, I have some spiritual questions that I want to talk through with you. And, you know, for me, that's like, you know, open invitation. I said, all right, bring it on, man. Let's, let's talk. So we met here on the loop. And um, I, like to, I, like to, I like to have what I call meetings in motion. I like, to, I like to get in the car. I like to have meetings in the car. I don't know why I do. I just, I find that when you're driving side by side with somebody, especially guys, if you're not like facing straight on, they'll talk to you more. You know, like they're side, side by side. So they, they kind of open up. Um, and, and they don't feel as kind of intimidated if you're just staring somebody in the face. So, so we're driving along, and, he, and I said, so what's going on, man? And he said, well, um, I, I, I really am struggling spiritually to get right with God, like to get my heart right with God. I'm, I'm having a hard time with that. And I said, well, just tell me a little bit about, you know, what's going on with you. He said, let me tell you my story. And he starts telling me, his story, some of which I, I knew, uh, some of which was just familiar with me um, anyway. And, and he tells me the story about how he had grown up in a religious home, a very observant religious home, fairly strict. Um, and, and he, you know, went to church every Sunday. He joined the youth group, grew up in Sunday school. Um, he actually, as a teenager, began to develop a longing to be closer to God. And, and he started to emerge as a leader in his church and in his youth group. Um, got invited to speak at his youth group and, and really started kind of tracking down this spiritual path. Uh, got to be a few years older and decided he wanted to study um, uh, scripture and study the Bible, study theology, and actually applied to um, a, a Bible school where he began to study uh, God's word and was growing in that whole you know, spiritual path. Um, but at a certain point in his life, he started to become disillusioned with some of the things that he saw uh, in his own spiritual environment, his own church community, and maybe met some people that were, you know, not living up to what, uh, what they claimed, um, and just began to experience, I guess, some disillusionment. And he was telling me that, you know, that, that this disillusionment, rather than drawing him closer to God, uh, started to push him further away from God. Uh, sometimes we, all of us, whatever religious tradition we grow up in, if we look at somebody else's uh, example, rather than straight to God or Jesus's example, we can become disillusioned because nobody can live up to that level of perfection. And, 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 and in one respect, that can draw us closer to God. It can inspire us to, to, to get closer with God. But sometimes it actually pushes people further away. And this kid kind of started to move away. And not only did he kind of move away from spiritual things, he kind of went down a a path in life that was um, a, a destructive path. He was bitter. He was angry. He was disillusioned. He began to, you know, drink too much, and then it, that messed up his judgment, and he started to make some decisions that he shouldn't have made, and those decisions resulted in a worse scenario, and he really just started to head down a path that uh, wasn't leading him towards something fruitful or productive. 
He's telling me all this in the car. and We're driving around. And I'm just listening. I'm just tracking with him. And then about, he said about two years earlier, so two years earlier from the time that we were having this conversation, he finally reached a point in his life where he said, I, I want to I turn things around. I, I'm, I'm not happy with the life I'm living. I, I want to move, move back closer to God. And so he systematically started doing the things uh, that he knew to do. He started attending a church. Um, he uh, started to stop doing some of the things. He started to lay aside some of the habits that he had picked up over the years and started doing everything that he knew to do to come back into good standing with God, okay? So to get his life right with God. Um, he met a girl at church. They got married, um, had a baby. Uh, and so he was, you know, about two years into a life of, you know, regular church going and all of this kind of stuff. And he says, he says to me, so I've been, at, I've been at this about two years, but I still don't feel like my life is right with God. He said, I'm, I'm praying every day. I'm reading the Bible every day. I'm doing devotions. I'm going to church. I'm, I'm, I'm paying tithes. I'm supporting the work of the ministry. I'm not doing all of the stuff that I was doing. I've laid aside a lot of the habits that I had picked up over the years. And I'm, and I'm tracking, you know, but I still don't feel close to God. I still don't feel like my life is right with God. And so he says, so my question is, how do I get right with God? Because I'm already doing everything I know to do. I just, I can't, I can't seem to get right with God. And what I love about his question, first of all, it's just a raw question. You know what I mean? And it, 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 had, it had like that vintage ring to it. It sounds like a, a question that you would ask in the 50s. You know, how to, you know, get right with God. You know what I mean? It had that, had that vibe to it. But what I also love about it is that the sincerity with which he asked it uh, really exposed what a universal kind of question it is. Because all of us have that question in our heart in some way or another. One of the reasons we come to church is we have that question. We have the question of how do we get right with God? And even, the, even people who don't believe in God. So if you're here today and you're on the fence about whether you even believe anything about God or trust the Bible, or whatever, you're still asking a variation of this question. The variation of the question that you're asking might just end with, how do I get right? Right. So you, you might leave off the with God, but but how do I get my life squared away? How, how do I establish value in my life? How do I get my life moving down a path that is right for me? Right. It's an ancient question. In fact, uh, there's been no culture throughout history where where some variation of this question has not arisen. Every culture throughout history has asked the question. How do we align ourselves with the, with the more powerful force that's beyond nature? How do I align my life with what is good and right? Different cultures ask it differently, but it's all a variation on the same question. Uh, anthropologists and archaeologists tell us that as far as 100,000 years ago, uh, there were religious uh, uh, observations and religious rituals where even prehistoric people were, were trying to align their life with the, the power that they saw around them. How do we get right with God? So today, uh, I want to introduce a, a brand new series that we're going to be in for the next few weeks. It's called Galatians. And the, the, the reason it's called Galatians is because it's based on a letter that was written to a group of people um, in an area called Galatia, which is sort of Western Asia. 
and it was written by um, a missionary named Paul. And, and what's interesting is when you look at this letter, and this is something that it's inspired me this week. When you look at this letter, I want you to notice the raw, unfiltered emotion behind this letter, okay? Because the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a group of people that he, that he had met a year earlier. He had moved into this area called Galatia, and he had established a church. He had preached the gospel. And a group of people in that area had come to believe the gospel and became followers of Jesus. And he was intimately connected with them. And he writes this letter because he's heard through the grapevine that just one year afterwards, one year after planting that church, uh, the people in Galatia had began to move away from the gospel. They had began to desert the gospel and turn away from it. And so the Apostle Paul, this letter is more emotional than any other letter in the Bible. You can feel the emotion in the words that he uses. He says some things in this letter that are so emotional, that are so intense, uh, that I'm actually praying about and thinking about how to present them. They're, they're very, he uses some very strong language in this, uh, in this letter. Because, for one, he loves the people that he, that he was, is preaching to and is writing to. He loves them. He planted this church. In fact, he risked his life to plant that church. He was actually, the scripture teaches us that he was stoned uh, after planting this church, that a group of religious leaders took him out of the city and stoned him to what they believed to be death. They left him for dead, and he got back up. He wasn't dead. But he spent everything trying to, to launch this church and preach the gospel, and he has heard that they have rejected the gospel and that they're moving away from the gospel. So he sits down, and he starts writing this letter, and this letter is about how to get right with God. Because he told them a year earlier how to get right with God. And then they started to drift up away from that. And so he writes this letter. And normally, if you read the epistles, he spends a lot of time. At the, he's very well-mannered in his writing. At the beginning of each epistle, it's like, hey, dear Corinthians, I'm so thankful for you. You, you guys are doing great. Lord is with you. You've been blessed. I hear all these good reports. He writes this long sort of prelude to kind of tell them about how much he likes them and, and how good they're doing. Galatians, he doesn't do that. He starts off by saying, I'm, I'm you know, this is me. I'm the Apostle Paul writing you. And then he dives right into his content. And look what he says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I mean, this is, this is his opening salvo. This is him saying, I am blown away that I've only been away for one year, and you guys are totally sliding off of what I told you, all right? Then he says this. Here's why. Evidently, he says, I mean, can you feel his, his kind of, his, his passion in this? Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he's starting off with this language. I am astonished. I am blown away. I can't believe it. Read between the lines. He's saying, I'm ticked. I'm like really upset. I'm really upset. Evidently, some people have come in and moved and started saying things to you. They're taking you off track, right? Then he says this. But even if me, he says, me and the other apostles that I'm with, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we were preaching to you, let them be under God's curse. He says, if I come back to you a year from now and I start preaching a gospel different than the one that I preached to you the first time we met, I'm cursed. If, if Gabriel comes down from heaven with wings and a trumpet 
and lightning and thunder and starts preaching a gospel different than the one I preached, uh, let him be accursed. And then he, you really know he's mad because he does that thing when you're really mad that you do. He literally repeats himself word for word. He says, as we have already said, which he said one sentence ago, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So you feel, do you feel his emotion right now? Do you feel his passion right now? And what's interesting is when I read this, I'm like, okay, so what was it specifically that he preached that they're erring from? What, what exactly did he say to them that they are now veering from, right? And the beautiful thing is we don't actually have to guess. We actually know what he preached a year earlier because his sermon was recorded in another book of the Bible called the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, uh, a, a doctor named Luke, a medical doctor named Luke, um, actually summarized the Apostle Paul's sermons to the Galatians uh, and, and had good notes, took, took good notes from his, he had his sermon notes and he was taking those notes and he got those notes and he, and he actually has the content of the sermon that Paul had preached to the Galatians. So if we want to know what Paul is upset about and what the, the, the Galatian church is erring from, we can look right back at Acts chapter 13 and see exactly what he preached. Because this is what he preached. He said, I want you to know, this was his sermon, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This was his sermon. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain from the law of Moses. That was his sermon. He actually had a three-point sermon. It was the first, it was the first, first pastor to do a three-point sermon. And we've been copying him every... Here, here's his three points. Jesus, the Son of God, died for you. Jesus, the Son of God, was buried for you. Jesus, the Son of God, was raised from the dead for you. That was his three-point sermon, and, and this was his application. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. That's your application. Altar call. Let's do this, and we're done, right? That was his sermon, right? That, that's, that's all it was. It was simple. It was clean. It was clear. All he was saying is, this is, this is the gospel. Jesus died for you. He was buried. He rose again. When you believe in him, you're free from all of the sin that has trapped you and ensnared you and held you back. So the question that I had when I was reading this is, what part of that message did the Galatians stop believing? What, what did they stop believing? Did they stop believing that Jesus died? No. Did they stop believing uh, that Jesus was buried? No. Did they stop believing that Jesus was raised from the dead? No. You know what they stopped believing? They stopped believing that his sacrifice was sufficient. They stopped believing that it was enough that Jesus died for them. And what they started doing is what we all do when we become religious. We start adding stuff to the gospel. Well, yes, Jesus died for me, but I also need to make sure that I'm praying right and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. If I'm going to get God's approval, I got a lot of other things I need to attach to my behavior in order to get God's love for my life. Come on, somebody. And, and, and that's what they did. It's not that they weren't trying hard enough to win God's approval. It's that they were trying it all. They were trying to win God's approval through their own religious observance. 
They were adding stuff to the gospel in order to receive God's mercy and grace. And the apostle Paul is mad at them, not because they're not trying. It's not because they're not trying hard enough. It's because they're trying at all. He's saying, look, I don't want you guys to add to the simple gospel that I preach to you. You're going to enslave yourself with religious practices and religious observances in order to try to win your justification to God. You can't afford that. You don't have enough to, to get you there. You can't make that happen. The gospel of Jesus's mercy and grace is sufficient. That's all you need. That's all you need. In fact, he tells them in Galatians 5, he says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, because that's what they were doing. They were going, yes, Jesus died for us. Yes, he was. Yeah. But we also, there are 633 laws of Moses that we need to apply to our lives in order to really be loved by God. We got to have the ceremonies. We got to put the practices together. We got to observe this kind of rites and this kind of ritual. We got to do all of this religious stuff in order to experience God's love. And he was saying, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you're actually alienating yourself from Christ and you're falling away from grace. You're trying to, to, to do something that you can't do. You're trying to accomplish something that's already been accomplished. Come on, somebody. Here's what he's trying to tell you. Stop trying to get what you already got. That's what he's saying. He said, you've already got what you are striving for. You've already, you've already received what you are now trying to achieve. It's already happened. Stop trying to go after it and get it. There's, a, there's a, a story. I told this a few years ago. 2014, a guy named Richard Dockery uh, lived in a little town called uh, Three Rivers, Texas, down uh, near El Paso. And uh, he was, a, he was a, a, a real estate guy, and he was trying to make ends meet, and he was struggling, you know, to, to make ends meet and pay for his daughter's school and kind of get by in life. He was just going through, you know, just normal stuff in life, trying to scrap, trying to make it happen, couldn't always meet, you know, make his bills and couldn't always, but was striving really hard. One day, and this is a, a true story, one day some guys came to him uh, in suits and they said, uh, Mr. Dockery, would you mind if we did some, uh, some testing on your land? We'd like to do a little, do some uh, sedimentary rock tests on your land. We need, we've got some geological tests we'd like to do. And he said, yeah, sure, by all means. So they did. They came back to him and said, Mr. Dockery, um, would you be interested in selling your property to us? He says, huh, let me think about that. Why are you so interested in selling my property? Figured it out. It turns out that his property was sitting under a major petroleum reservoir. Massive, massive petroleum reservoir. And, and, and they wanted to buy it. He said, I'll tell you what, I won't sell it to you, but I'll lease it to you. Um, monthly. Um, it turns out that Richard Dockery, just a regular guy scra scraping to get by, was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire who did not know it. It's not that he became a millionaire. It's that he already owned a massive oil reserve and he did not realize it. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? God is saying to some of you today, you have a reserve of grace and mercy and love and power, and it's already yours. Stop trying to scrape by to get it. It belongs to you already. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatians. He's saying, stop trying to get what you've already got. It's yours. You've already received it. Now you're adding stuff to it and you're going to actually harm yourself because you're trying to get something that you can't get by your own works, but it's something that you already have when you put your faith in Christ. That's what he's saying. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul gets the angriest, 
Not when we're failing to live up to the standards that we put for ourselves. But when we fail to receive the grace of Christ. That's when he gets mad. When we fail to receive the beauty and the love and the grace of the Father. So let me go back to the sermon that he preached in Acts. He says this. He says, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him. So, so, so you see where it's coming from. It's coming through Jesus. It's coming through him. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Here's what this message is trying to say. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying his sacrifice is the source of your freedom. It's, 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 not, it's not your work. It's not your observance. It's not your religious calculations. It's not how good you are. His sacrifice is the source. That's why he keeps saying through him, through Jesus, his sacrifice is the source of your freedom. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we had an awesome work day yesterday. And um, we were, man, we were grinding, we were drilling, we were fighting, we were shoveling, we were, it was so awesome. And I got put on a task uh, by Art Bollinger, who is our general contractor uh, and is amazing. And he put me on a task. They like, he likes to put me on tasks where uh, he's not worried that I'm going to break something. He, he puts me on tasks where I'm like assigned to break stuff. That's, that's, that was my task. So he says, I want you and this crew to go out to this air conditioning unit, which actually looks like a tank. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like the air conditioning unit you're used to seeing. It was like, you know, it was like as big as this stage. It was, it was massive. Might be a slight exaggeration, but it was pretty big. And built like a tank, he goes, I want you guys to dismantle that. And we had an awesome crew of guys, man. There, were, there was an awesome group, group of us out there. And so we start off by saying, okay, how do we dismantle this thing? We can't, you know, we don't have, we got tools, but we don't know how to use them. We don't know what's going on here, right? Finally, I saw, okay, there was a bolt that was uh, holding these two pieces together, these two pieces of metal together. Uh, and, and I knew that we had to get through that bolt in order to start dismantling this thing. So I picked up the grinder, uh, the metal grinder, which I've learned to use over the last few weeks. And I took that metal grinder and I put it on that bolt and I squeezed the trigger and nothing happened. Like zero, like nothing. And then Earl, who was one, one, of, one of the guys on the team, looks down the cord and he goes, oh man, uh, that's not going to work unless you plug that thing in. I said, oh, okay. Right? We start with baby steps. Now, here's the thing. That grinder has a little disc on it. And I could manually push that disc up and down on that bolt until I'm 95 years old. And I'm not going to get through that bolt with that grinder. That grinder won't work unless it's plugged into the source. And when it's plugged into the source... It cuts through like a knife through butter. That bolt, ping, boom, is gone, right? We dismantled that whole air conditioner. It was amazing. But you've got to be tied into the source. If, if you're trying to work out your salvation with your own strength, on your own accord, if you're trying to win God's approval by your own behavior, it's like trying to cut a bolt without being plugged into the source. You can gnaw on that thing for the rest of your life. You can go back and forth day and night. You're going to get a good sweat. You're going to work out. You're going to be tired. You're going to be exhausted. But you're not going to get through that bolt. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I don't want you guys trying to, trying to win your way into approval with God. I want you to plug into the source because it's through him that we receive our freedom. It's through his sacrifice that we get to experience life. 
It's through his mercy and through his grace that we get to enjoy the benefit of being God's children. It's not through your works. It's through his sacrifice. So then the question arises, okay, then how do I plug in? How do I experience what is already there? Let me go back to this scripture because he puts it all in here. This is why he's mad because he put everything in this, in this one sermon and then everybody drifts off of it. So I'm going to keep going back to this sermon. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, right, everyone who, what? Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. So he not only gives you the source, he gives you the means by which you can access the source. And what he's saying is your faith, your faith is the means to his grace. How do you plug into that grace? How do you plug into that mercy? How do you receive that? It's through your faith. That's why he said everyone who believes. When you put your faith in Christ, when you trust him, that's how you receive the grace. Because you're trusting the grace. When you are trying to work out your own salvation, when you are trying to get right with God through your own behavior, you are not receiving your rightness with God through faith. It's two different paths. One is a religious path where you're trying to grind it out. Another one is a relational path where you're opening up your heart and receiving what God has for you. Are you with me this morning? My, my daughter, Eden, was helping uh, her big brother, Jameson. They were uh, charged with the, the job of watering our neighbor's lawn. And uh, so Jameson was allowing Eden to help, and she's three. And so she's, she's, they've got the hose. The hose is turned on. They're plugged into the source, Okay. But there's a nozzle on the end of the hose, a spray nozzle. And so even though the source is flowing, it's not coming out, right? So Eden's got the handle. And James is like, just squeeze the handle. <laughs> just squeeze the handle. She's three. And, you know, I was there. I wish I had my video camera going. Um, she has the handle. And finally, she, she, she did it. She squeezed it. And it was just what you imagine. It was like, push. Like a, a massive fountain of water goes flying everywhere. And the kids are running through it. And water is happening. And it, it was beautiful. Why? Because she needed the means to access the source. And once she figured out the means by which to access the source, then the source came flowing. Right? The Apostle Paul is saying, your faith is the means. That's the trigger. That's where you actually tap into the source that is already flowing. If you're out there trying to grow a garden and you can... You can do everything you want to that garden, but if it doesn't get water, it's not going to grow, right? You need to tap into the source. He's saying, look, I just, your faith is the means by which you access the grace of God. Put your trust in him. Put your faith in him. Believe in him and let him be the, be the source for your freedom. All right. I'm going to go back to his sermon one more time. He said this, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You know, you know why he said that? Because he knows that they were already trying to do it on their own. They were trying to obtain it on their own. And what he's saying is, stop trying to buy what's already been paid for. Come on, somebody. I told you this is a one-point sermon. All these points are the exact same point. I'm just saying it different ways. Stop trying to buy what's already been paid paid for. Don't try to add stuff to what I've already done for you because it is done. If my five-year-old Augustine came to me and said, Dad, I really appreciate that you put a roof over my head, put food in my belly, 
you know, uh, put clothes on my back, uh, uh, providing an education, providing a safe home, loving and all of that. I'm, I'm really glad that you're, you're doing that. But I feel like it's time for me to, um, to really do that on my own. Okay? My five-year-old Augustine said that to me. Um, <laughs> first of all, I would laugh and use it as a sermon illustration. But second of all, I would say, son, there are a couple problems with that. First of all, um, what you're proposing, you can't afford. You don't have the means to pay for any of that. So number one, you can't do that on your own. I'm sorry, you just can't because you're five. Number two is you can't pay for what's already been paid for. See, that's all squared away. So stop trying to achieve what's already been achieved. Stop trying to pay for what's already been paid for. Stop trying to get what you've already got. Today, somebody needs to experience the grace of Jesus in their heart. Because either A, you've never experienced it, or B, you've been around Jesus a long time and you're still trying to win his approval. And he's going, hey, stop. Don't. I've already done it. This kid, I'm going to close. This kid that I was talking to tells me the whole story about how he was trying to go to church, praying, doing all the things right. And he wasn't able to get his heart right with God. And I had one of those moments where it's a pastoral, where it's a pastoral win. You remember those because you, you rack up a few fails too. But this was a win. I said, hey, man, you, you went to Bible school. I said, yeah. I said, you remember the story of the prodigal son? He said, yeah. I said, do you remember what the son did when he came back to the father? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you remember the son went off and spent all his money and went crazy. And, and then he came back to the father. Do you remember what he did when he came back to the father? And my friend goes, uh, I don't, I'm trying, but I don't actually remember him doing anything after he got back and I go that's it he didn't do anything he just came back it was the father that ran off the porch it was the father that took off his ring it was the father that put his cloak around us it was the father that killed the fatted calf stop trying to get what you what has already been paid for and you know what's fascinating to me is that story is not just about the prodigal there's a big brother too and the big brother says I've been working I've been sticking around. I've been trying my hardest. Why can't I get the love of the Father? And the Father goes, you've got my love. You don't have to do that to get my love. I'm glad you're doing that. That's what you ought to do. But don't do that in order to get my love because I already love you. You didn't have to do that to get my love. Just like he didn't have to do that to get my love. My love is free. Grace is free. So stop trying to get what you already, what's already been paid for. Receive it. Just receive it. So the question is not, how do I get right with God? Because you cannot get right with God. The reality is, is that God has already got you right with himself. So receive that. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I, I, love, this, I love this epistle. We're going to spend some time in this for the next several weeks. Because the Apostle Paul wants us to remember amidst all of our serving, amidst our offerings, amidst our uh, serving one another, helping, and all the stuff that we are called to do as followers of Jesus, that's after the fact. That's an, those are actions that well up out of our gratitude. They are not actions that get us aligned 
with the approval of God because that has been done. So today, all I want for each and every one of us is to receive the grace of Jesus in your heart. Those of you who have never experienced it, my prayer is that you would receive it today. And those of you who have been Christians for anywhere from a month to a hundred years, that you would receive the grace of Jesus today. That you would stop trying to buy what has already been paid for. That you would stop trying to get right with God and that you would receive the rightness that he's already given you. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful for this, this, this letter. It is so powerful. It is so counterintuitive. We're so used to striving to achieve, striving to attain, striving to, to, to get approval. And, and, and what you're telling us is stop doing that. You approve. You approve through the sacrifice of your son. And all we are required to do is receive that approval through faith in you. God, we put our faith in you this morning. We put our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. We receive the grace and the mercy of our Father. We love you. We praise you. Send us out with that joy and that confidence and that pure power of knowing that we are justified by grace through faith. It's not of our own works. It's through you. And we receive it this morning. To your praise, honor, and glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody. Amen. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great week.